Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. I am so excited to share my interview with Run for PR's coach, Megan Roth. Megan is a 247 marathoner. Yeah, that's 625 per mile for 26.2 miles. The amazing part about that is she didn't start running until after college. And now she's in her 30s with her sights set on qualifying for the 2020 Olympic trials. In addition to her incredible athletic performances, she is also an amazing coach. This year, she helped dozens of athletes qualify for Boston for the first time. And prior to working for us, she was a personal trainer and metabolic nutrition coach at Lifetime Fitness. She has helped thousands of athletes over the years. She also turned her passion for nutrition into a business, creating fresh nutrition bars. She knows her stuff about running, strength, and nutrition, and I cannot wait for her to share all of her knowledge with you. Now, we will dive into our interview with Coach Megan Roth. Hey, Megan, I am so excited to have you on the Run for PRs podcast, and I'm excited for you to be able to share your story about how you went from non-runner to 247 marathoner. So let's dive in right away with some questions. You've ran eight sub three hour marathons. And the question that everyone's dying to know is how did you get so fast? So, I mean, just thinking back, you know, over um, the course of over 10 years and even from, you know, growing up, um, I was originally a soccer player for 16 years. So um, my first kind of true love for a sport was soccer. Um, Played for 16 years, played through college. And um, even through my years of soccer, I just liked to run. I was kind of the the strange athlete that most athletes, they don't like to run unless they're, they're chasing a ball or something like that, um, which I always hear from a lot of clients I've worked with over the years. But I was just someone I, I like to run. We had a treadmill in my basement. And um, kind of funny, I actually broke our first treadmill at my parents' house growing up because I used to run on it so much. And so I just, um, I was always active, always stayed in shape, played soccer for 16 years, um, played goalie in my summer season. So I would run just to stay in shape. And so for me in my first years of running, a lot of it was um, just around the sport of soccer and staying in shape for soccer and, um, and that type of thing. And my first marathon was in 2008 when um, I just decided to do a marathon. I had heard that less than 1% of the nation um, had ran a marathon and I'd always wanted to um, do a longer distance and decide to sign up for it. And being my senior year at Duluth um, for soccer, I ran my first marathon and I ran a 307. So for a lot of people, they're like, you ran a 307 in your first marathon, um, you know, just kind of crazy, um, you know, for at least the first marathon, which there are people that do run faster first marathons. Um, but it was really exciting because it was something that I wanted to start with my first marathon and just see what I could do with it from there. And so ran my first marathon, um, finished my senior year of soccer at Duluth, and then it was kind of turned into my after sport and wanting just to continually get better. Wow, that's amazing. So I didn't realize that you were still in college when you ran your first marathon. Was your uh, soccer coach mad at all that you did that? So honestly, yeah, a little bit. I think um, that was one thing with soccer is, I mean, it is a fast twitch sport. So it does really slow you down when you start to do longer distance running. And so for me, being a defender, they always kind of wanted us to wait until um, after soccer was done to do any marathons or any other sports or things like that and just focus on soccer. So um, it it was a little bit, but I think they were also really happy for me. Um, Actually, my assistant coach at Duluth, her sister's Kara Goucher. So um, her and Adam Goucher used to come do motivational speaking for our team. So that was one of the first, um, you know, also kind of wrapping my mind around the thought of, wow, I could actually like running can be a career. It's something you can do professionally. And at the time she had ran for Nike. So she was also kind of um, some of my initial inspiration to 
um, want to be a fast runner, you know, and really kind of go, go after kind of those, those bigger dreams with running. So, um, so yeah, so no, my coach is a little bit, but I think they're also excited for me. And um, I actually almost ran track my fifth year at Duluth. They wanted me to um, run for a year just because um, just for a 307 was pretty quick. I think compared to some of the other girls that were running track at Duluth too. And I just decided I, I wanted to focus on marathoning. And after playing for soccer or soccer for 16 years, I just needed something to do my own thing and have my own time and stuff like that. So that's kind of a little bit too in that. Wow. But I always think of how that would have changed my running career if I would have ended up running track. So it, I always kind of think back on that too, if, um, you know, one of those opportunities that I think would have really um, changed kind of my route, but yeah, yeah so but who was... knows, you know, maybe you wouldn't be running anymore if you had ran um, track in college and stuff. Cause sometimes I feel like those track athletes, if they go really hard on it, they kind of maybe get burned out when they're older, but now you're in your thirties and you're still like super fast and really getting into the sport now with your marathons. Um, so in 2014, you ran your marathon PR of 247, and then you had a few injuries that happened over the next few years, including a car crash where you had to take several months off from running and you were told that you maybe could never compete with your running again at a high level. But then three years later, you came back to run 248 at CIM. So what kept you going all those years when you were battling through injuries Oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, so thinking back to, um, so 2014 was, and still is my marathon PR of a 247, um, which even at grandma's from the years, I think the year before was a 248. So even thinking from like 2013, my 248 was probably my most breakthrough marathon with running like an eight minute PR that year. Um, and part of that was just do more education and more of the science with my training and more metabolic coaching and, and stuff like that. But then from 2014 from my 247 and then um even into 2015 I started working with my coach Dennis Barker so he's my local coach that I still work with and he had introduced me um or I was introduced to him and started working with him and actually got started with the Twin Cities Track Club so started running more local races since for a number of years I kind of just focused more on the marathon and so in 2015 he was helping to prep me for my 2016 Olympic trials and so me and him had worked together that summer I had some really fast shorter distance races and then he was training me for CIM in 2015 and um, at the time, the standard was a 2.43. So I went into that race training for a 2.43, um, was able to hold like a 6.12, I think, through halfway, slowly started kind of dying off to like a 6.19 pace up until 20 miles and was one of the hardest races. Um, I mean, I've had a few marathons. I've been terrible finishes, but one of the hardest races I've ever finished because as we all know, when you start a marathon way too fast, it's not, it's never really a good ending to, to the race if you end up finishing. So ended up finishing in a 254. Um, so it was a pretty hard finish, pretty, you know, slow from where I was paced. I was paced at like a one, I think 21 halfway with trying to run a 243. And actually that year for Olympic trials, they changed the standard the next week. So literally the week after that race, they're like, actually, we're going to change the standard to 245. So for most runners, it was great because they, you know, were able to compete in Olympic trials for 2016. For me, I was right on the cusp of like seconds of being able to hold, you know, that Olympic trials pace. So even five seconds slower, I might have ran under 245. So for me, I was, you know, not only did I finish a pretty painful race, but that had happened. So right. That's that's pretty I frustrating. Pretty- I feel like, do you think that if you would have started off a little bit slower that you could have had a different result that day? Had you have known they were going to change the qualifying time to 245? What Have you ever thought about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I've talked to my coach about it. Um, so, yeah, so that was tough. And, and that's even, I think, when the whole Boston qualifying standard had changed this year. I mean, I just think back on that because it, it was so hard. It was, I mean, I put so much hard work into that race and hoping to get my qualifier. And then to know I would have had more time to get my, um, you know, to race even better at the trials that year. So, you know, it, it all comes down to every race, every race a little, di- little different. Who knows if I would have got under my 245, but it would have been, you know, much closer than, 
you know, so, and that's been a handful of my races for the last few years. But, but anyways, after that, then that March, um, is when I got my car accident. So, you know, Mm. I had come out of CIM 2015, trying to get my Olympic qualifier. You know, that was the last chance to get it. Um, You know, they changed the standard. I get in my car accident. And so, which was, I mean, just one of the hardest things I I think I've ever gone through. I mean, just in terms of, I was scared I was going to have a bad hip the rest of my life. And it's something that, you know, even over the last couple of years, I, I still... I'm now a lot more careful with just taking care of my body and not pushing it too hard because I've definitely struggled with a lot of injuries, but that was probably by far one of the worst just in terms of, you know, I could barely walk. I remember the week after I could barely walk. I was in so much pain. Um, Thank goodness, you know, through physical therapy, chiropractic and massage, I was able to get up and running again. And as stubborn of a runner as I am, you know, trying to train for a marathon for grandmas that in 2016, right after it was just, you know, just one of those dumb running decisions I've made over the years, but ended up dropping out at mile 18 and it was just too soon. And it was really hot that year. Um, so I think between the heat and just dropping out, so the, wow. it, it was just a really tough year in 2016. Um, yeah, it that? sounds, you know, it I, sounds like that, that, that would have been really aggressive to go into grandma's right after that. Was it just kind of one of those like live and learn decisions that you made? And looking back, you're like, wow, I, I should have never done that. Like as a coach, I'm sure now you look back and you think, wow, that was really soon after my car crash. Like, what is your, what did you learn from that? Oh gosh. I mean, I've had a couple turning points in my career where it's, I should have just waited. Um, that was one of them for sure. And, and that's with a lot of my athletes. I know there's frustration when you go into a race and it doesn't go how you want it to go. And it's so hard. I mean, a marathon is such a, it's such a beast of a race. I mean, there's just so many factors that go into it. And, um, I, I just think sometimes when you have your mind set on a certain goal and you don't necessarily reach it, I mean, it's just, it's a good idea just to maybe just take some time, you know, and just kind of re replan because I mean, running's a lot lifelong sport and, um, the last thing you want to do is jump into another race and end up dropping out because it's just, um, you know, they do say once you drop out of a marathon, it can be hard on, you know, finishing your next one, or it can really put you in a different type of mindset. Um, which luckily I've, I've kind of had some other breakthrough races like 2017 that have helped, you know, with running 248 there, which was completely kind of unexpected in a lot of ways, but but really exciting. And, um, but there's always, you know, there's always time, give yourself a break. I think we're so, um, we put such hard training in and we want a certain result. And when we don't get that result, it it can be really tough, but it's just good to take a step back and just maybe give your body a break and and at least wait a few months. Um, those are such great lessons to learn from your marathons. I had no idea that you had a DNF at grandma's that year, but it sounds like you just have a lot of experience with the marathon distance and that, taking those times off time off in between would actually led to a better result for you at CIM in 2017. Um, when you had a little bit of a longer buildup there and more time with your PT and chiropractor to get back on track and everything. Um, it sounds like maybe you put a lot of pressure on yourself with your training. Do you ever feel (laughs) like outside pressures or pressures from your coaches or other people? How do you manage that when running kind of becomes like a stressor in your life? How do you flip it and turn it into something positive? Yeah. So, um, I mean, and that's just it. I mean, running is such a positive thing and, and it really always should be. And I think you had made a, a comment, you know, recently, how do you stay so positive? And it's just, it's so important. I've, there's been years where I, I've put so much pressure on myself and it's not that I don't still put pressure on myself. It's, it's always kind of, you know, when it comes to anything competitive, um, it kind of helps with that competitive edge. But I, I think when it comes to outside pressures, I mean, you really have to just sit down and, and pick what's best for you. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's your running body. It's, you know, it's your choice to really do what you want to do with your running. And you shouldn't feel pressured to, you know, push yourself, you know, to, um, you know, to extremes that make you miserable. I know I've had, um, you know, even in previous years, I I think maybe four or five years back, I I had worked with a coach and, you know, we, um, we had met, I think after a race and started talking about coaching together. And uh, I think he always kind of thought he's, you know, where you're currently at, you can definitely be a 230 marathoner. Like you're already a fast runner. You, you've trained yourself to this. You can be a 230 marathoner. So my mindset, you know, a 230 marathon, I mean, that's a dream to me. I mean, that's like, 
you know, where I want to be with my running. So I think I was always putting the end result first. So I always think I felt the pressure to have to perform um, and reach certain paces during training and stuff like that. And it just wasn't there for me. Like I just, um, you know, there was times where I probably shouldn't have pushed my body through certain workouts and a lot of injury had, you know, occurred from maybe just pushing too hard and feeling really pressured. And so, um, you know, you just, you have to do what's best for you, you know, and what makes you happy. Um, it's good to have, you know, um, hard goals and, and things you want to do, but you have to be realistic and patient and just work through the process, you know, and stay right. positive because running's fun and, you know, you should just, you should love, you know, just all the different parts of it. Otherwise, like anything that you don't enjoy doing, it'll end up, you know, you'll end up burning yourself. Oh, you're not going to get the results that you want to see. So I just, and, and part of that now is my new coach. And I, I think it's so important that people have, you know, either whether it's a training program or a coach that works well for them, because I mean, since I've met Dennis, he's, um, he's definitely taken a lot of my stubborn, I guess, out of my training. And I'm, I'm a very stubborn person. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a lot less stubborn than I used to be because I'm more willing to, to, to listen, I guess. I just, I used to be a terrible listener because I just thought I knew, I knew a lot. I knew, I guess not. Yes. It's so interesting. didn't know nearly. Yeah. Much. It's so interesting that coaches work with coaches, but I think you had a great point there because you were saying that you're, when you were too results focused, that's when things kind of started falling apart for you because you weren't focusing on the process and the journey. You were just focusing on that end result and looking down the tunnel. Okay, I need to get to X point. And so with your coach that you work with now, it sounds like you guys have a good relationship and balance where it's more focusing on the process and taking each day as a time to really reach your potential. Yeah, definitely. I just, um, and I think of that because I think everyone has so much potential and, you know, even some of that, you know, someone starts with an initial time trial and, you know, they, they have an equivalent, you know, maybe marathon or half marathon that, you know, they're capable of more, you know, more than capable of, capable of if the training's there, but at the same time, you still have to work through the process. You still have to work through the training. You know, it still takes a lot of hard work, um, a lot of patience and, you know, just, just focusing on, on each week and, you know, just kind of building up. So, um, I think it's, you know, it's good to kind of have that potential and those, you know, end goals, but the process is so important. I mean, you need to work through the process and you have to stay healthy and healthy and I'm yeah, focused, I think I that's what really makes you a good coach is because you have gone through all of these experiences yourself and you've had to stay so patient and resilient over the years. Like back when you ran your marathon PR, that was almost coming up on five years ago now, but like, you're still hungry. You're still following the process. You're still listening to your coach and you're still striving to be a better version of yourself. And I think that's a really good role model for all of your athletes out there, because I know you're going to have this breakthrough race this year and it's going to be amazing. So what are your tips for staying positive in a situation where maybe like you're experiencing a dry spell with your PRs or you're just not getting the results that you're hoping for, but you're trying to trust the process. How do you stay positive? Yeah. So, um, well, I guess just one thing with my training too, just thinking to the last few years, I, I would have PRs if I was actually racing for a PR, but I was, when racing for Olympic qualifier, you have to run a certain pace. So, um, the hard thing with marathon is if you start too fast, you can't. So if I would have maybe started like five to seven seconds slower, I would, I would probably have more, quite a few more sub two fifty marathons, even like two forty six, maybe closer to two forty five. Um, so just thinking, you know, for my training wise, I, I could have, I could have PR'd with a lot of my races. I just, when you're trying to go for Olympic standard, it's just a little tough. Um, but for people that, you know, are continuing to, to work through training and that they'll have a really good race and then maybe they'll have a couple, um, even a down year. I mean, I look back on my first marathon was a 307 at grandma's and the next year I ran a 316. And I remember thinking, you know, my first couple of years, I was like, if my second marathon would have been my first marathon, I would have probably never ran a marathon again. That's how bad my experience was, you know? So it's, I think even for, you know, one lesson, um, for people that have a bad marathon experience, run a second marathon. I promise your second one will go better. You know, you can't have one race define your training or completely change, you know, your plans. So that's, that's one thing thinking back on that race. Um, 
And then even, you know, even like weather conditions and things like that. Some races, I've had a couple of just terrible races because of, um, you know, whether it was too hot or just crazy, like hurricane rain. Um, I remember CIM, I think back in like 2015, I ended up running like a 318. So even between, you know, starting at a 307, I think by my third year, I ran like a sub three hour marathon. Um, there's always going to be, you know, ups and downs throughout your running. You're going to have some breakthrough races that are like, yes, like this is why I am working, you know, my tail off to, you know, keep running at my best. But then you'll also have those races where, you know, you might not see the result that you, that you want or get that PR. So, um, I mean, mine has gone back and forth. I mean, just thinking back on my 13 marathons, it's gone back and forth so much. And, um, I mean, it's, it's always just thinking to that, the result you want and where you want to go. Um, I know even myself personally, I I've been running for over 10 years, but I know I still, you know, honestly have so much potential with the sport that it continues to drive me in. And I know what I'm capable of. And I think you start to, um, kind of grow through your experiences and learn that as a runner. And, um, I just feel like there's so many other lessons you can take from running that, transfer into your life that help you with you know life lessons but then also um you know some of the the bad times you know even in life I mean you have some bad times but then you have some really great times I mean that's same with your running not everything's gonna go exactly how you want it to go you know, I and, love and that yeah that definitely goes, yeah it can know. relate to your life and sometimes I think when we see people who are as fast as you on social media we just look at the highlight reel and we see oh she's ran 247 248 she's so fast and it's so great to hear that like you've had those races where things just didn't come together for you. And it's so tough over 26.2 miles to have that perfect day. And so it's good to know that like you even have those experiences. Um, so on those race days where you ran 316 or 318 that were really like far off your goal that day, um, how did you bounce back from that? Was it you looked for another marathon or did you just take the time off and then build up for your next training cycle? How did that go? Um, so I guess it's gone a couple different ways. Um, so after the, the 318, um, just took a little time off, you know, and, and I know some of it's just, um, you know, maybe it's not training, maybe it was just, you know, the, the weather that day. And so that was just a really rough day. It was just absolutely miserable. Um, and so for that race, it was like, okay, let's just take some time, kind of re-energize and, and look to the next race. Um, I've also, I guess there has been, you know, definitely the performances where the race didn't go as planned and, and maybe it was because of injury, you know, so maybe even getting injured during the race, um, and then, you know, trying to jump right back into another marathon. Um, but I, I think no matter what, whether it's weather conditions, whether it's injury, um, and I mean, of course it, it kind of just depends on the situation with everyone and, you know, how they bounce back from it. But what I've learned is, yeah, I mean, just t- taking a break is the best thing to do. Um, I can't say I've had the best lessons learned from jumping back into a race, especially a marathon, because a marathon, it's just a really hard race. Right. Um, so I just think it's so mental and physical that, um, I would advise go on the side of taking a break, but if you honestly feel, you know, that, you know, and, and weather can be one thing too, because weather can be, I mean, you can have all of your training put in and weather can really ruin a race for you. So I think in that instance, I think it might be good to look to another marathon. I think that's definitely, um, you know, especially if you don't end up, um, you know, race racing at the way, but for injury, I, I would say definitely taking time off. Cause I think it's just hard to, um, maybe run a marathon, be injured, think to another marathon and then while you're still injured trying to get your training up and going and then um you know typically not ending with the result you want so I, I would say for weather conditions you can maybe jump back into another race the injury I, I would just wait until you're right yeah and that is so hard with the marathon training cycles because it's like a marathon training cycle and the marathon race itself really destroys you so Enough about marathons. I mean, you've ran some pretty fast. <laughs> you've ran some pretty fast five k, ten k's lately. I mean, this summer you are crushing it. I remember at Torchlight five k, you came. Did you come in second place for females running a seventeen oh two? And you didn't even have your watch on that day. So I'm curious, like does your coach have a certain philosophy where like you don't race with a watch on and you just kind of go off a feel or what is your stance on like running with a watch racing with a watch or without a watch? Yeah. So, um, 
honestly, and, and I don't necessarily think this is the best, um, but I've never worn, I've never paced myself with a watch for any race. Wow. <laughs> I'm really impressed. So, so in some of it's good. Um, I mean, honestly, I can say from my most recent CIM in 2017 was probably um, one of those days that was a little bit frustrating that, you know, between not finding my pace group at the beginning, um, cause if I would have paced myself better, the race would have just went better. But so there are, you know, there are races I've had also extremely good races, especially shorter distance that I've gone off the field and it's, it's just, um, one of those things I, even with my training, I, um, try not to use, I I've been using a watch a little bit more recently with running outside, but I really try to tune in with my body and see how I'm feeling, um, and I think that's something, too, that comes with experience. You, you learn to know your body really well in, in that pace. And I think, too, just some of the workouts that my coach has put me through. Um, I usually won't wear my watch um, just with him there because I, I try to take as much stress out of the workout as possible. And for me, um, I know some people that, you know, of course, people love having a watch because it really helps them. For me, it, it just puts way too much extra stress. Yeah, like it's an it. extra distract- <laughs> a distraction for you because if you're running and you kind of want to feel how your body's feeling, but if you look at your watch and you feel great and you see, oh, like I'm one second off where I'm supposed to be, that can be an added stressor. So it's really interesting to hear you say that. And I also think because you kind of started running before the big boom of garments and all that, maybe that also plays a role because when Ben was on here, on the podcast last week, he was talking about how he ran his half marathon PR and all he had was a Timex watch. So just a stopwatch. Do you ever use even a stopwatch when you're training? Um, so I do with training. Yeah. So especially if I'm, um, if I'm by myself and tracking distance, definitely between a stopwatch, some way of tracking. So I always have a way of tracking whether Um, my coach is there with me, um, or I'm tracking on my phone or now with my watch, I'll track with my watch, um, and that type of thing. So, um, but when it comes to races, I'll usually, um, and, and I've done this too in the past with my marathons, I'll usually try to find a group to run with. So usually a pacing group that I can pace with them and they're pacing it. So it kind of takes the stress off of me pacing it, but I'm able to still be at a good pace. Um, and then, yeah, I guess between pacing groups, finding someone at the beginning of the race, um, or just r- running off field, especially for shorter distances. Um, I, I feel my, my workouts have really prepared me just from not wearing a watch and working with my coach to kind of know what that feels right. like. Yeah, that, that is pace. so interesting. So, I love it. Um, I think that's something that everyone can kind of <laughs> learn from is that like, you don't need the garment all the time. And I think a lot of people use it as like a clutch and they, they think they need it, but really um, sometimes it can be a distraction, but I bet on the course you utilize the clocks whenever you see them and you, you know where you're kind of at on the course too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And just with some of the people too, that are running your bar or sometimes I'll ask. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that is so funny. Really? <laughs> A couple of times, you know, just to cut, at least at the beginning to make sure I'm not starting too fast. Cause that's always my worry with a marathon is starting too fast. I always start too fast, no matter like what I'm, so it's always just to kind of, um, you know, make sure I'm not starting too fast, especially on the marathon, at least to check in to see where I'm at before the 10 K or before. Yeah. So you're really plus. fast. Like do um, other people way up there who run as fast as you, do they also sometimes not wear watches or wear like stopwatches instead? Um, yeah, no, I believe so. I, um, I, I mean, I see runners, you know, that definitely have their watches, you know, right there with their splits. Um, and I think that's so much trained into, I think a lot of mine too, was just because I was such a treadmill runner for years. I used to do a lot of treadmill training. And I think part of it was just because it worked extremely well for me. I had my paces right there. I always knew where my training was at because it was all you know numbers like I always had my treadmill paces I knew if I was able to do this certain workout that I was in this kind of shape like that was always kind of like my way of tracking um so I I guess just for mine I wasn't used to the watch so I was so much more off of feel I know there are coaches I've worked with a couple coaches um that you know they I mean most actually I mean I guess the three the few coaches I have worked with I haven't needed needed a watch necessarily because like you said it it is so much I feel and effort and um you know on a given day you can feel great um or you can feel like you know complete crap and you know it just kind of depends on but the biggest thing is effort because it's going to continue to help make the adaptation you're looking for as long as you're putting the work in um but yeah I guess just between just training without a watch I'm just I, I just, I've gotten so in tune with my body 
I, I think it's just the main thing. And now it's just making sure that I actually pace myself well. That's so great. I think something people really can learn funny. from that is like even on their easy days, maybe going without a watch or doing one workout on the track with maybe just a stopwatch and see how you feel. Because I know when I ran cross country my, my last year in college um, when I joined the team, there was like no one had a garment, no one had any way of tracking it. The coach would say, Okay, go out on 45 minutes easy, and you just kind of went off a of feel. And so it's very interesting. Um, the technology can be good, but it's also nice and kind of freeing not to have to constantly be checking in on your garment. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it can definitely, it's very useful to help track a training or at least having some way of tracking training, I, I think is extremely important. Um, just, uh, I don't know, I, I guess they have some of those, um, you know, they have that with it, but I think it is good to also sometimes just not have the watch and just take the, the extra stress and stuff out. So definitely like you were saying, yeah. So <laughs> you're running the Boston marathon this spring and it's going to be your second time going out there. Um, I believe 2011 was the first time that you ran it. And at the time you ran a marathon PR of 257, which is amazing to PR at Boston, especially to break three your first Boston. That's incredible. So the Boston course is known to be a challenging course with the Hills and Newton and Heartbreak Hill. So how did you approach the course and what are your biggest tips for people who are going out to run Boston this year? And how did you train to be able to run well on that course. Cause we don't have a lot of Hills here in Minnesota. So what did you do? Oh yeah. So, um, so some with training, um, I actually had done some Stairmaster with my training, um, which I, I think just helped with the Hills too. And just building more kind of, of that strength or just different from running, I guess, in part with some injury, but also, um, as a good cross training for it as well. Um, so I, I think that had helped, um, you know, even with the treadmill, the nice thing with incline is you can kind of vary with inclines with that as well. Um, but I think that, I mean, the hills are going to be the most important thing. I think always with Boston, it is a very hilly course, um, which is good and bad because I, I think on the, um, the downhills, you can kind of use that as a little bit of a, a recovery, you know, as long as you're not running it too fast. So I guess good thing with, you know, more of the, the downhills is the not run it too fast but to run it at a good steady pace um just so you're not I guess kind of crushing your legs <laughs> as because it can be a lot of wear and tear over the course um if you're running the downhill too fast um and then kind of same with the uphills you know kind of having that mix in there to work in some different muscles so it's not just a constant strain on your quads um or your hamstrings or glutes um so and then some of the uphills um to kind of give your body a break too so um I mean, yeah, the, the hills is one of the main things that is um, for Boston just to be ready for it because, um, yeah, we don't have a lot of hills. <laughs> right. Um, you know, even to that. <laughs> I think like what you said about the Stairmaster is really interesting because I know another runner, Heather Schultz, she is really big on the Instagram community. Heather Runs is her name on there. Um, she, before all of the, her races where it's going to be hilly like Boston or CIM, she always uses a Stairmaster, she says. And so I thought it was really interesting that you said that you use the Stairmaster too. Like how many days per week do you do it? When do you do it? How do you mix it in? Oh, yeah. So I would say you could definitely use at least one day on the Stairmaster. Um, honestly, though, with my current training, there are some routes that my coach has me running. Um, so now for, for this year, um, just between doing hill sprints. So um, even this week, tomorrow, my workout's going to be hill sprint repeats. He's had me doing that um, like every other week. Um, last week, he had me. Um, so we call it the loop of death, which I don't know if you've been there, Victoria. It's, um, it's one of the, it's like a two and a half mile loop, um, in St. Paul and it, it's a surprisingly like very hilly loop. And so, he, oh no, where is it at? I've seen that with my training. So it's off Montreal and Snelling. Okay. I, so yeah, I can imagine um, that it's pretty hilly over there. So he makes you just do like repeats <laughs> on that, that loop. Yeah. So that was, um, so like my workout from last week was really good for legs. Um, surprisingly felt pretty good just from doing some of my different hill workouts and then river road, I guess is another that at least there's some rolling hills throughout it. So I know this week I'm going to have a workout there. So that's going to be my longer, um, kind of my longer quality workout for this week, will be more marathon pace, um, running a couple, um, five and a half mile loops around that. So he, um, so yeah, a lot of hills. So that's why, you know, a lot and working it into easy runs too. So just, um, not always running flat. I mean, where I'm currently at, I'm 
around the lakes, which you know is very flat. There's maybe an occasional hill right <laughs> up around like miles, but it's very flat. So um, so yeah, I've been actually working a ton of hills in now, and so that's what I'll rec- or that's what I recommend for. Um, you know, for Boston and for Boston training. Um, I mean, knowing the course too, kind of knowing where those uphills and downhills are. I know once you're out in Boston, you can go tour the course. Right. I don't know yeah. That's a really good idea. And I know where the hills are kind of at Boston, like 16 to 21. I mean, that's, a, that's a tough spot, but just being prepared yep. and knowing where they are and visualizing it in your training and kind of trying to find routes that simulate it, I think that can definitely help too. Well, I know that you're kind of an expert in nutrition because you did the metabolic coaching at Lifetime Fitness, which is one of the most prestigious gyms in the United States. Um, and you, you own your own company and you make fresh nutrition bars. And I've seen some of your videos, like you eat really healthy and really I mean, you're amazing at nutrition. So I wanted to know what you do for your race day nutrition. Yeah. For race day? Uh, oh, gosh. So my race – well, my race day is pretty – so for actual race day, I'll usually wake up um, four hours, like my coach says. <laughs> it's going to be four wow. the race. <laughs> uh, and, have a, and have a cliff bar. So you shall wake up, have a cliff bar, because you really want to get something into your system, you know, at least a few right, hours. Right, to get things moving, so, right? Uh, yeah, so just to kind of get that, you know, that initial, you know, get some fuel in your body. So wake up. I'll usually have a cliff bar. Um, I joke because I'm just, I'm not a morning person. So as late as I can sleep in on race morning huh. is my... Usually not um, too late it's always if you're great. doing four Friday hours. hours. <laughs> That's pretty early. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I'll usually have a cliff bar. Um, honestly, I, between training and before my races, I've cliff bars work extremely well for me. I, um, so for cliff bars to give you, um, oh, right, right. Kidding, Here's the insert cliff bar. Cliff bar. <laughs> <No>. Yeah. <laughs> so cliff bars work really well. Um, and then like half a banana, I'll usually have half a banana, um, and then I'll bring like a Gatorade. So I'll bring some Gatorade that has some extra, um, it's really hard for me to, Honestly, even with my training, I rarely eat breakfast. I'm just, I can't eat in the morning. I don't know what it is. I, I can have coffee. I am um, the only time I truly have breakfast is actually on almost wow. race day. Unless I'm, I have a hard interval workout that day, I'll have a cliff bar. That's so I interesting. Just, um, so I, I have heard other them, people so say that and they're like, well, what do I eat on race day? Or I'm just not going to eat on race day morning. And I'm like, Ooh, that's really bad. You have to eat something before a marathon, mm-hmm. even if you know, it's hard or you're not hungry. So I really like that you shared that. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to have breakfast. It, it's so important. And I know how important it is, even with my, my training, um, even post-workout nutrition, I think is so important. It's probably the most important meal I would say is right after your workout, um, at least getting something to help kind of rebuild and recover from your workout. But, and then on race day, I'll do goo packets. So, um, especially for a marathon, I'll have a goo packet five to 10 minutes before, um, so I'll have that sometimes too, I'll have, um, like the honey stingers or like the chomp blocks. I'll bring those to the starting line with me just in case I need a little extra fuel, just depending on how I'm feeling that morning. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll usually have between one to two cliff bars, half a banana and then Gatorade water. And then I'll have, um, or even like those noon tablet drinks. I drink a ton of those before my races, um, just helps me stay hydrated. And then Gatorade, I guess is the other thing. And then the goo packet. So I'll have a goo packet, like five to 10 minutes before race start. And then every six miles, um, which I've done for the last few years, just, um, right. which I always feel like I'm Yeah, so every six you. miles for you, <laughs> how, how many minutes is that? Because when I hear six miles, I'm always like, oh, that's like every hour. But for you, because you're running so fast, that's like yeah. every like, like what, 36 to 40 minutes it would be, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah, so pretty, yeah. So, like, <laughs> so I usually just stuff goose in like my sports bra and, <laughs> and just have one and I'll usually carry it with me. So, and then every water stop, I know even on some days when it's a colder day, um, just something I've always done, always make sure you get water or at least some Gatorade at every water stop, yes. even if you're not thirsty. I think it's so important at the beginning of the race. Because I feel like people don't think about it until like the last five, six miles. And they're like, you know, I wish I would have had maybe more fuel at the beginning. And it just, it really does help keep your um, glycogen stores and keep your body fuel and energized. So I think and hydrated. So I think just getting extra, you know, extra at the beginning is, is never right. a bad idea unless you're someone that has. Fueling early and, and often. And stuff, so yeah, I've heard that many times. That's really great advice. 
for sure. So, um, so yeah, that's typically for that. And then after the race, just getting a really good post um, race meal um, is usually for either pizza <laughs> or burgers. I love that. <laughs> I yeah. It's always good to treat yourself. You don't always have to eat healthy all the time, especially after a race like that, you got to celebrate. Um, so as far as like your day to day diet goes, like when you're training, like right now you're kind of getting ready to ramp up for Boston training. I mean, you're in the middle of Boston training, but getting ready to ramp up into that peak Boston <laughs> training. Um, what do you eat? Like, what does your diet kind of look like? And what are some tips that maybe you could share for people who are listening that they could just implement into their diet to make everything easier and make their nutrition better? Yeah. So, um, so I mean, one thing, like you mentioned, I, I um, I do have my own nutrition bars that I make homemade, um, and also just business I'm going to be relaunching here in the next couple months, um, here, but I am, um, so I do do a lot of my nutrition bars, but it's a lot of like healthy fats. So like coconut, almond butter, um, egg white protein, or even like grass fed protein. Um, but even one thing I was talking to one of my athletes about this morning is even like a protein shake. I think um, even though it's supplements, I think protein shakes are a great way to get really good nutrition and it's fast absorbing, um, especially as either um, a pre-workout, you know, just making sure that you're having a, you know, at least maybe like an hour or so before your workout um, or even as a post-workout. So a protein shake is just a good way to be able to mix in a lot of healthy ingredients um, between like whey protein or egg white protein, um, almond milk, um, different types of berries, banana, um, almond butter, avocado, spinach, um, the I can't beat or you can't beat me smoothie from the run fast, eat slow cookbook. I really like that smoothie, um, which I need to start implementing more. Um, but I think, you know, protein shakes can be great. Um, even just homemade nutrition bars, you know, mixing in just some real ingredients between like almond butter, coconut, um, you know, something that kind of grab and go energy bites. Um, I do a lot of like avocado, um, like chips and salsa um chicken i'll usually buy like trader joe's is like my favorite grocery store so i'll do a lot of grab and go like chicken um or the pre-made salads veggies um I try to get a lot of salads and veggies, especially just all the extra antioxidants, vitamins and minerals and stuff like that, just through the heavy loads of training. Um, and then red meat, try to at least get like a burger, you know, maybe not with the bun or even just getting like a burger. Right. For that iron. Cause a lot or... of people suffer from low iron. So that that's a good tip with the, the red meat or anything that can help with your iron. Are there any other foods that, you know, um, I'm trying to think like eggs, I guess I'll mix like some eggs in quinoa. I love making quinoa salads. I'll make a big batch of it. Um, more recently, I, I love the recovery, um, salad that Shailene has in her book. Yeah. <laughs> like I know you make recipe, a lot of the recipes which... out of the run fast, eat slow cookbook. Do you kind of like how it's all fresh foods and you're making it at home? Um, I think just eliminating the whole processed foods, um, has really helped your yeah. diet with your performance and everything. And that's something that I, I really like your, your Instagram because I look at what you're eating and it's always really fresh and healthy foods. Cause what you said about the antioxidants, it is so important to be getting those fruits and vegetables. And I think a lot of times people overlook that and they just want to think, Oh, like how many carbs, how many fats, how many proteins do I need? But really just looking at how is this going to fuel my body? Cause you want to have like those micronutrients that are really going to go in and help repair your body. Yeah. So I think so much of it, I mean, just eating food as fresh as possible with minimal ingredients. Um, I mean, I, t- I tend to buy a lot of produce, a lot of um, just whole meats and things like that. And then if I do do supplements, um, usually like a protein shake that has, you know, fruits and vegetables in it um, and then in salads and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, nutrition makes such a difference. I mean, just on performance and I mean, even with the holidays, just being here, I mean, even a couple of days of the holidays and, even having extra sugar or sweets. I mean, I can already tell by how my body's recovering. It's, you know, outside of just, you know, all the different celebrating with family and stuff, but you'll notice how much of a difference it makes on your, your recovery and your performance once you really start feeling your body with the right nutrients. And I think that's so much that has even come over the years. And 
even leading into races, um, my nutrition has definitely evolved. And it, it's something I, I really try to make a point of and, and even just timing of nutrition too, just especially as like post workout and um, just eating enough calories. I think as runners too, we can tend to under eat, um, especially as our training yes. starts to ramp up. So just making sure that you're, you know, feeling your body, but you know, not only with the right nutrients, but getting enough calories and um, yeah, just, just giving your body what it needs to perform in its best and continue recovering. And so I just, yeah, nutrition. So important. right. I know how um, earlier you were saying with all that. Or some of my athletes have even told me this. They aren't really hungry after hard workout because your immune system, or not your immune system, your appetite kind of gets suppressed after you do like really hard effort. But I love how you said admin in those parts because sometimes when I'm done with a workout, I'm like, the last thing I want to do is eat right now. But I know I need that nutrition right away, getting it in that 30 to 40 minute window. So I'll do like a shake, just like you said, and just kind of force it down. And that's something that really helps with recovery and it helps in the long term. Um, cause it's never good to be under eating and not getting enough nutrients or waiting until, you know, way later in the day after a workout to eat. So just kind of doing snacking throughout the day and making sure you're getting enough nutrition during those big buildups. Yeah, definitely. So another thing that people I see on your Instagram, right? A lot is how are you so fast? I mean, that's the that's the question that everyone wants to know. We know that like you have the soccer background, so you had a chance to build that aerobic base and you've obviously worked very hard over the years. You've run multiple marathons um, over the course of the last decade. You've ran 13 marathons and eight sub threes. So you're working really hard. Is there anything special that you think you have? Do you think that there's just talent or do you think that hard work really can get you to your goals? Um, I, I think hard work, um, you know, hard work definitely brings out talent, I think in people, I think, um, but nothing can really out, you know, outdo hard work. I, um, and passion and love for the sport, you know, I just, um, I have such an emotional connection, you know, with running at the same time. And it's gotten me through, I guess, a lot of hard, hard points in my life that, um, I feel like just over, over my years of running, it's just, it just comes out of, you know, really the drive of just wanting to continue to get better and, um, and working hard and, and just really, I guess, having that love and passion for it. But I, I think, you know, the right workouts, of course, you know, having, you know, the, the right, um, support around it, the right training program, the right workouts. Um, I feel like a lot of my speed has continued to, to build over the last few years, working with my coach and, you know, actually meeting at the track and, you know, doing one mile repeats or like 200s or 800s and, you know, some of these other workouts um, I've met him to do, but um, it comes from, you know, hard work and then the right type of right. training. And I'm, I'm just continuing to, you know, build that with my own, um, you know, and just, you know, staying injury free and everything in the process. But um, no, I, I think hard yeah. work, honestly, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm interested to see what my potential ends up being as a runner as the years go. And, and it, it's exciting. But um, I think for everyone, I mean, you you honestly have such potential and such, you know, limitless possibilities that if, if you work hard and it's something that you truly want, like you'll make it happen. And um, I can feel your yeah, passion your through well, the phone right now. It. it is so amazing. <laughs> and I love how you said that it's your passion that really keeps you going because sometimes people think, oh, it's talent, it's hard work. But you said passion. And that really made me think because yeah, you can have talent and you can work hard, but if you're not passionate about it, you're never going to reach that next level. So I love how you added in passion because I can definitely tell that's something that you have with the sport and you share it with all of your athletes. And I feel like it's contagious when you're in an environment where someone is really passionate about it, then you get kind of lit up about it. Like, I want to go run right now after talking to you. <laughs> it's um you know it's it's fun to see what your body can do and I I try to have that mindset too going into the races I um I guess you know keeping yourself in in a really good mental mindset helps so much too and I know going into a race it's okay let's you know let's see where I'm at today you know I've, I've put in training like it, it's almost kind of the excitement to see what your body is bringing to like the starting line that day and, and you can't ask for any more than that you know you can you've put the work in like you know you're ready to go like I, I think that helps also take some of the pressure off um you know kind of going back to some right. of the pressure but um 
I, I think just those harder workouts really just help you feel, you know, ready to go and ready to perform at your best on race day. And um, yeah, keeping everything so, um, in perspective yeah, and just saying, you know what, this is just seeing what my body can do on race day and not really putting the pressure on the end result or, oh, I have to hit this time. Just seeing this is, we're going to see what my body can do. Like I've put in the work in the training and we're just going to go out there and have fun with it. So that's a great mindset to have going into a race. Um, another question that I think a lot of people want to know about, I want to know about is what does your weekly training look like for your weekly mileage? Like how many miles do you run? What, how slow is your easy pace compared to your workout days? I'd like to hear more about that. Oh yeah. So gosh, in a lot of my, um, I mean, I'm just, I feel like I'm in such a good spot right now with my training. It's, um, it's been such a long time coming. I just, um, thinking back with, you know, work with my coach, we, we had a couple good months this summer, kind of off and on, just kind of fighting through injuries and, you know, was able to have a couple good PRs, but, um, you know, even thinking he, uh, you know, helping me back in, um, 2000. 17, I guess with running my last marathon at CIM, but it, it feels so good to be back at this point. It's just, it's been a long time for me and I'm finally up to, I think the last few weeks, um, I was at like 71 miles, um, 64 miles. And then this past week at 75 miles. And for me to be able to go out and run every day, you know, it was kind of the first main thing, like was starting again. And then now even more with, you know, really starting to work with my coach again and being able to get in those, um, couple quality workouts a week and then a long run. So, um, this last week I ended up just having, I was supposed to have hill sprints. I, I needed kind of another, another rest day. So just, you know, the importance of if, if you don't feel, you know, that you should push yourself to a hard workout, definitely just give yourself a break and, um, you know, really try to focus on that other workout that week and do just really well at that workout. So that's just kind of my advice too for training. Um, you know, if your workout's not there that day, just take an easy day and just even get more out of your next. That's really good workout. advice. Um, so, so like, like if less... you just woke up that day and you decided, Oh, my body's still feeling sore. Or did you like start the workout or how do you decide if like your body's just not ready to go that day? Ready to go. Um, I mean, it can be a combination of things. I mean, I've had workouts, which I, I've only dropped out of a couple workouts. And because um, usually when I commit to the workout, I'm like, I am I'm right. <laughs> like, I don't care if like, I die at the end of this, like I'm finishing this workout. I am. Um, so I um, usually it's when I wake up or when I'm walking around or if I've had aches and pains from the day before that are still kind of going into my next day. Um, I, I just I always go on the side of caution. Now I just there's been too many small like nagging injuries that have really helped me back. I feel like in yes. my training that I'm just like, okay, just, you know, really be just extra cautious. So, um, if I'm not feeling like I'll usually that morning and I, I won't even think to go to the workout. Um, if I end up going to the workout, I'll usually end up doing the workout. Um, so, and, and then part with timing too, like if I can't do it one day, it's just better to wait until maybe later that week or just to wait until the next week. So, um, so it all kind of depends on where your training's at that week. But yeah, so with my with my current training too, um, so that was last week. I'd missed my hill sprints, but then I was able to have a really solid second interval. So really happy with how that went. Um, it just won those workouts and it goes well. Tra- training's going right. good, I guess. So that was part with last week. Um, and then my long run. So making sure I got my long run in because I, I think I had a little bit of a minor breakdown <laughs> the week before on the treadmill, which is not that typical anymore. I, um, I've i definitely had my moments, but um, that was probably just because my training had been going so well. I, I think I had just a minor breakdown because I just wanted things to keep going just how I'd been going. So, um, but yeah, so my training, it's a lot of just putting in easy miles. So my easy pace, um, Honestly, I'm trying to get as close as I can to like a 7.30. I know even my coach is telling me, you know, 7.30 or slower. And um, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the years of soccer or treadmill running or if it's just so ingrained that it's like so tough. But I um, I really try to get as close to a 7.30 pace. I know it um, helps me with recovery. I know more recently my easy pace is kind of between like a 7. I guess so about 7, how for far easy pace. Of, I'm right like your 5k PR is your easy pace. So that would be about like two minutes per mile slower is a 7.30. Yeah. So yeah, about a minute and a half, um, two minutes slower. And then for um, 
even like marathon, half marathon, about like a minute to a minute and a half. Yeah. So you're definitely um, taking and it even like pretty months. easy on those days. Because some people you're 730 and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so fast. But I mean, two minutes per mile slower than 5k, that can be hard. So it's good to know that like you also kind of struggle with those things. And you're so you're still working on every day. Like there's something that you can improve on, you know, and sometimes that's the easy days. I also have that problem sometimes too. So it's good to know that we're not alone, but that's, that's the importance of having a coach kind of keeping you accountable. Right. Yeah. And, and so that helps a ton too. Cause it's, you know, if, um, if I decide to take my easy day too hard and then I can't do well, like on my workout the next day, you know, that's when it's kind of, you know, there's no reason to take my easy day any harder when it doesn't need to be when really my focus for that week should be on that harder workout. So I think that's what it comes down to. You know, it's just more of not like the the day to day how I'm feeling like, Oh, I just want to go run fast this day. It's just thinking of how it's going to impact the rest of my training that week. So it's big just, picture. Um, yep. And I know work with my coach. And, yeah. So I hate changing my training at all. And um, even, you know, working with him, I try to keep it as much as an and part with mine too, is I know how to adjust it, but I know he always has, his coaching methods and what he is, his purpose for that workout that day is for the rest of the week. So, um, I try to stick to my running as much as possible, but I mean, like anything, things come up during the week. And I know even with my athletes, you know, if things need to be changed around, things need to be changed around, you know, there's still ways of adjusting training, but, um, yeah, so that's right. So yeah, a lot of just building mileage right now, um, working some hills and some of that higher intensity, um, really excited with Phoenix. Um, I'll have my two half marathons coming up in less than five weeks, which um, it's been a while since I've raced a half. So I really want to crush a PR. Yeah, you are going <laughs> to run so and well and out Boston, there at Phoenix. So I feel like it's a really fast course and I'm really excited for you. And if anyone listening is going to Phoenix, Megan would love to meet you. If you run into her out there, she's going to run the, the Phoenix half marathon in February coming up. So that's exciting. Yeah, definitely. And I know you have started working with us about seven months ago now, but you have helped coach so many people to PRs and a lot of first time Boston qualifiers this year, which is super impressive. And I'm so excited for you Um, and all the people who qualified for Boston under you. How do you think um, your approach to training is different and what sort of philosophy do you use when you're coaching your athletes? Yeah. So, um, I mean, every athlete's going to be different. Every athlete has a different running background. Um, you know, whether they're a beginning runner, um, or they're a very experienced runner, you know, wanting to race their next PR or even get their Boston qualifier. Um, so every runner is coming from, you know, a different starting point. So it's always, you know, starting the person where they're at, you know, so, um, kind of starting there and progressing their training from there. Um, and anytime I start working with someone, it's, um, even though we go month by month, I'm, I'm always mapping out their training. So let's say, you know, they, they start working with me now and their marathon's not until October. Well, I'm going to write out their training until October because I need to know, you know, where are we taking them from now up until October, you know, planning that they're going to be my athlete, you know, through their whole entire training. Um, so, I mean, just looking at their goals, looking at how experienced of a runner they are, um, I... Um, I, I like to educate. So I mean, I like to educate my athletes um, and, you know, go a little bit more into the science of it. I, um, the education and science is, is so important with running and just, you know, understanding, you know, certain workouts and how it's going to um, continue, you know, progressing towards their goal, you know, maybe um, them kind of having a good idea, but you know, where they're starting from and what their potential is, you know, with their training as they continue um, working with me and, and stuff like that. Um but I mean, my philosophy kind of goes back to, you know, just hard work and passion and, um, and, and wanting to put the work in and, um, you know, and, and having big goals and, and not, um, you know, thinking that you should be limited just because you're at a certain place with your running. I, I think it's always good to, to look long-term with your training and know that, you know, anything's possible as you um, build as a runner and with that. But I like to educate through my experiences, um, you know, I, I've definitely learned a lot of lessons along the way and I want to help keep, you know, my athletes maybe from making some of the, you know, mistakes that, you know, I, I kind of wish I would have had someone that would have talked to me about some of my stubbornness a long time yes. ago. Because I, I feel like even now where, where I'm at, I, I feel like I could almost be, you know, that much farther ahead if I, I would have just listened to someone that, 
um, you know, had been there and experienced it and was just truly trying to help and uh, make me a better runner. So I think just, um, yeah, so kind of taking my, my life experiences and then, then also just from a running standpoint, you know, and, and even some of those mental tactics. So I like to put that into my coaching notes, things that help me with my workouts that I know can help other people and just different running advice with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically giving them the program that's going to help them, you know, reach their goals and help them, you know, know that you know their their goals are possible and that they're going to be able to you know crush their upcoming races and you know and compete extremely well and um helping them feel as strong and confident on race day as possible I think is so important and that's what I always um you know all the things I guess I've taken into my own training that have helped kind of execute on like race day and race well and those types of things I try to bring all those different aspects in the training because I mean it's so much more than just running too it's it's more than just running workouts I mean of course um, your workouts are going to make a big difference on how your training progresses and, and how well your your races go. But, you know, there's a lot of other aspects that go into it. And, you know, like we talked about the nutrition parts, the rest, the recovery, um, you know, taking your easy days easy, getting the most out of those harder interval days. Um, but I mean, and all that kind of comes down to the experience of the runner, but I, I just, I love, I love yeah, hearing I like all of this. Yeah. I think you have yeah. an amazing coaching philosophy here. It sounds like you're really well-rounded and you just have so much passion that you want to share with your athletes and you have so much experience and knowledge you can draw from to help them. And I know I've gotten amazing feedback from everyone that you're coaching. They just love working with you. They're like, I love coach Megan. You know, you're, you're a really good coach <laughs> and I can just tell like your passion with everything that you're doing. And it's so awesome to have you on board. And I am so glad that you were able to share all of your knowledge with everyone on this interview. And if anyone wants to contact you or they're interested in working with you um, or getting a coach, what should they do to contact you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, you can contact me directly on Instagram um, or even through email. So, um, or even through the website. So when you fill out you know, even your athlete consultation on our website, you can always mention maybe that you want to get connected with, connected with me and, um, you know, what other, either love to, you know, schedule a call or just like email or just learn more about you. So, um, yeah, however works best. Yeah. Email through our website, Instagram, um, and always open for questions too. I, I, I love. Yes. Yeah. There you have it. So (laughs) So if you have questions for her, you can. (laughs) direct message her on Instagram and you guys can chat a little bit because we always love helping people. Um, but yeah, I loved having you on this podcast and I am so grateful that you took the time today to share your knowledge with everyone. And we are so excited and rooting for you for your 2020 Olympic trials qualifier. And we can't wait to hear. And once you get it, we'll probably have you back on the show to share all about it. (laughs) No, that sounds good. Thank you, Victoria. Great day. Bye.